0: The Lord be with you. And with your Let us pray, dear Lord, with our unworthy servants, do you humbly come to the throne of grace and beg that you would, wherever we are right, that you would encourage us; wherever we are wrong, that you would stop us; wherever we are weak, that you would strengthen us. Uh, that what we do and say and and think here at the advent. May be to the glory of your Son Jesus Christ, it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, I guess I'll start with you. how many. I just had a curious, just quick show of hands. Uh, have uh, are familiar with General Convention and kind of the gist of? Of what has come down from general convention, uh, the most. How many are familiar? Just to get an idea. So, uh, how many are not? Okay. Well, that's that's interesting. Uh, let, let me say that the most uh, controversial thing that, that, that came down had to doing had to do with the uh, uh, blessing material that were compiled for the blessing of the same sex. Uh, relationships, as it applies specifically to the gays, lesbians, uh, bisexual, and transgendered. I think those are the four particular categories. Uh, nothing happened. Let, let me say too, uh, if if anybody was surprised by that, then uh, then I'm surprised that you're surprised, <laughs> because uh, there's really a, a, a no great uh, a surprise, uh, a controversial resolution. Uh, authorizing the blessing of same-sex relationships in any of those four categories uh, w- was passed. Now, our own Bishop uh, Sloan uh, voted yes uh, to, to that. Uh, he was affirmative to that, to that resolution. However, he also stated uh, very clearly that uh, that will not take place in any of his churches in the diocese. Uh, of Alabama now if you want to know more about what specifically Keith Sloan had to say about that and to get not me reporting on what he said I believe then go to the diocesan website uh, and you can and you can hear more about it uh, now my response to 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 all of this is up on the advent website so you can go to dot and right there on the front page at the bottom, you will see my ugly picture. I will hope you get a new picture sometime soon. But uh, And, and you, can, you can click that on in and, and my response. Uh, I, I, how many have read it? Just, it's kind of helpful for me. How many have not read it? It's kind of helpful. Uh, in, okay, 50-50, maybe more have not read it than read it. So what I think I'll do is just pause right here. If we could get the handheld mic and let... Uh, Andrew, would you read it for me? You have a copy of what I said. If you want to just listen... If you read it slowly, and, and... you kid,
1: kidding. Man. Y'all just speak
0: among yourselves while we wait for Andrew to go get his copy. You know, it's not like I gave it to him last week. I gave it to him five minutes ago. <laughs>
2: Four score, wrong thing. Just kidding. (laughs) I write this letter with great appreciation and affection and with difficulty. This was the opening sentence of Key Sloan's letter to the people of the diocese as he prepared to leave for his first general convention of the Episcopal Church as the Bishop of Alabama. Bishop Sloan Sloan knew that a controversial resolution authorizing the blessing of same-sex relationships would come to a vote. Either way he voted, Bishop Sloan knew that he would greatly disappoint people. As it turned out, he voted yes to the resolution, but has announced that he will not allow the blessing of same-sex unions in this diocese. You can visit the website for more details about this. As your dean, (coughs) I find myself in a similar position as Bishop Sloan, which is to say, I write this with great appreciation and affections and with difficulty. As many of you know, the General Convention of the Episcopal Church passed Resolution A049 that authorizes material for the blessing of same-sex relationships. More than a few of our members of our church have written, emailed, and called for my response as the Dean of the Cathedral Church of the Advent. Many of you have read the brochure, Speaking the Truth in Love, I wrote six years ago in response to the consecration of Gene Robinson, a practicing homosexual, and the General Convention of 2006. Our position, our meaning the clergy in the chapter of the Advent, has not changed since the writing of Speaking the Truth in Love. If you have not read it, please email my office or call it and I will see to it that you get a copy right away. The bottom line is that we at the Advent will do our best to remain true to the teachings of the Bible. That means we're all sinners. No one is above another. That also means we cannot bless any sexual activity outside of marriage between one man and one woman. The Bible is clear about this. If anyone who declares the Bible teaches otherwise, then I wouldn't doubt his or her sincerity, but I would have to question question their training in biblical interpretation. Again, if you would like an overview of the many passages that deal with sexual morality, let us know by using the aforementioned email or telephone number. While we love one another and reach out to all sorts of conditions of people, and while homophobia by any person on our staff will not be tolerated, we cannot bless same-sex relationships. Bishop Sloan knows exactly where we stand. He and I have talked openly about our differences. While we do not agree, he not only tolerates the Advent's position, he accepts and respects our position and sees that we have a legitimate voice within this diocese. Some of my colleagues have long left the Episcopal Church. We respect their decision, but we do not feel called to leave. We feel called by God to be a faithful witness within, but without being in collusion with flawed theology that lies at the heart of this presenting issue. But the presenting issue shall not sidetrack us. Our preaching and teaching ministry will remain focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ, (coughs) bearing witness to the light the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. We will not waver in our convi- in our conviction, and all that we do, say, and think, may God alone be glorified.
0: Okay, I. No, let, let me uh, just remind that that is up on the diocesan website if you if you would want to to read it more carefully and. Uh, and uh, or, or make a hard hard copy. It's it's there for you. I I, I want to f- make a few further comments, and then I'll try to uh, see if there there are any questions or observations from you. Because I, w- I would like to get on, and if possible, not spend the whole class on this. Because basically, what I've said is what I've said, and I'd like to get on the class. I'd like to. To stick to what I said there, we don't want to be sidetracked uh, on, on this thing, and, and to keep us off what's really important, and that's the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. But I'll, let me take a, uh, just a few minutes to make a few more comments. Uh, I, <clears throat> some people, asked me in some emails recently, say, you know, what what hope do we have? And I, and my response is that I think we have I think we have hope. Uh, I, I know we have hope. If we didn't have hope, I couldn't, I wouldn't even be here this morning. But my hope is not in the Episcopal Church. I, I asked my mentor, Fitzsimmons Allison, in a very recent conversation, in the aftermath of all of this, I said, I said Fitz, I said, do, do you have any hope for the Episcopal Church? And he said, Lord Frank, I don't have any hope for Western civilization. So. <laughs> But I think that, you know, there may be some truth to that. And uh, the the, the situation that I see unfolding is that the church is being absorbed into culture rather than church speaking to culture. The church is being absorbed uh, by culture, what Luther back in the 16th century called the cultural captivity of the church. I do have hope. And I love that old song. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our hope is in God, uh, that God has a plan and with God's, God's uh, help, I want to remain faithful uh, and to see uh, what, how God uses us and, 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 and to just listen for the voice of the Good Shepherd every single day. And as the old song says, one day to sweet, sweet Jesus, we'll, we'll do it day by day, but we'll also try to do it long term. I, I do think that it's, uh, I'm very saddened. Uh, when I was at General Convention 2012 in Denver, uh, it was pretty. It was pretty. Pretty much, I, I saw then. And I, being a man, I don't like to admit to it, but on, on, when I got on the airplane to leave Denver, uh, I, I was I was weeping. I wasn't openly weeping like a child, but my I, I needed a handkerchief, put it that way. And Jane says, "You know what? What's wrong?" And I said, "You know, it's over." I said, "We've lost our church. We've, we've lost the church that that, uh, that that I found Jesus in. That you know, this is not the church of." Our fathers, so so to speak. This is not the Episcopal Church. You know, it just seems clear to me that that uh, the handwriting's on the wall. That the Episcopal Church has lost uh, how many members in the last twenty years? I don't know. Andrew, do you know? Nineteen
1: seventy, we've lost uh,
0: two million. Two million, and we didn't have the three to begin with. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, it's it's just the fact. Uh, It it seems to me we're 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 self-destructing. Uh, but we're not going with a revision. Uh, we're going to stay the course. We're going to stand firm uh, on our faith, on the faith that was once delivered uh, to the saints, and we're going to wait on the Lord. Uh, people say, will, "Will we ever leave? Do you think there will ever come a chance to leave?" I, you know, I, will ever. I don't. Will we never leave? I don't. Never is a big word, but I, I, I just uh, don't feel called to leave. They may kick us out, uh, but. And that's what Mark Lawrence said, uh, in the end of the diocese of South Carolina. As he left, you know, they they left the convention, and someone said, "Are you leaving the church?" He said, "No, we're, we're leaving the convention, but we're not leaving the church. Uh, he gonna, they may kick us out, but we won't, but we won't, but we won't leave." I also want to say too uh, something about Keith Sloan, and, and that is that, I really, while I don't find any hope uh, in, in the Episcopal Church. I do find my hope in God, and I, and I believe with all my heart that that, that God will uh, God will use us, and to be a, a faithful witness within is 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 where uh, I, I think we we, we, we need uh, to be. But what the thing about Keith Sloan is that he is a true he's a true liberal, and there's a big umbrella for Keith Sloan, uh, and he. When I said, that there were some conservatives that said I was praising Keith Sloan because I said he respects position Advent. Well, I'm just telling you the truth. I'm not praising him. I, I, I didn't say I respected what he believed. I said he respected what we believe as having a legitimate voice within the diocese. And, but he really does. Those are not just, those are not just flowery words. Uh, he, he, he does respect us. Uh, and he, he doesn't think everything we do over here is a conservative conspiracy, uh, and as long as we can do ministry, he, he wants the Advent to be the Advent, because he sees that as something he doesn't want to, uh, 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 to lose, uh, and he knows exactly where I stand, and if he was standing right here, I wouldn't say anything different, uh, I never have, and but it's, it's very liberating to me to, to feel that he not only tolerates the Advent, but that he that he actually respects the Advent don't agree with what he's saying. I think he has a flawed theology as he tries to look at what's really at stake here. Uh, but, uh, but nevertheless, uh, he sees that Advent has a place in his diocese, and as long as if that takes place, and as long as we can be a faithful witness to Jesus, then uh, I think we can be a, a witness within the community. I, I don't know what God will do with that, but I know that God is faithful. I, I want to say one other thing, too, and I'm going to say this in the Adventurer uh, people say, "Well, you know, we're comfortable, Frank, but you know, you're getting old." And and I, you know, I do. I, w- I want to. I want to address that because I mean, you know, yeah, I am. Uh, I'll be 69 next next week. Uh, and you know, I. I uh, you have to retire at 72. I don't know how long I'm going to say. I pray every single morning. I say my prayers. I say, God, let me know when to retire and how. As I've said all along, I want to retire before you want me to retire. Now, some people... Now, I got an anonymous letter. I'm just telling you the truth. I got an anonymous letter. Uh, It was written actually to the wardens, but I got an anonymous letter. And in one of the sentences, it said, uh, Frank, bless his heart, is failing fast. (laughs) The thing about an anonymous letter is you can't respond not now now, Jane would especially know on what basis they are making that assumption. I can say <laughs> <tell you> that
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know i i that I, there could be I, and so I want to think about it my point being I got sidetracked there mentally there a little bit but but but. Uh, the point being, yeah, I won't be around here, but look at our staff. If you look at the people we have here, other than Joe Warren and myself, Joe is retiring next month at the end of August, and you know, I'm I'm you know three years max and don't know when. But what and so people say, Well what about what what does the future hold there? I am very confident in the Advent future. I think the foundation is just as solid as a rock right here. And if you look at the staff that we have here, uh, the oldest guy left is going to be Craig Smalley. He's the old guy. <laughs> we got Craig. We got, we got Joe Gibbs. We got Andrew. And let me just tell you, I certainly can't use their names now, but I got high hopes for this next clergy call. I'm in the middle of a search right now. We got two searches going, one music, and we're getting close there, and I feel good about that. And we also got a, 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 a search going on uh, for Joe Warren, for the vacancy created by Joe Warren. I feel good about that. And if that materializes, and by the way, Keith Sloan is working very closely with that because this person, ordinarily, uh, a lot of the liberal bishops would say, "I don't know. This resume looks, you know, uh, uh, I, I can't get into a lot of detail because I'm I'm, I'm constrained by." Uh, confidentiality factors, but uh, 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 this person, uh, I asked Keith Sloan, I said, w- will you at least talk to this person, and he said, Frank, I trust you. I know you're not going to bring in someone here that, that who's, who's, who's coming here for one purpose, and that's rally the troops uh, and create war. He said, I trust you, we're going to bring in someone who's got the same passion that you have, same passion that... That, that Andrew and Joe uh, and, and Craig Smalley and Joe Warren I've had uh, and as long as you faith, then I will talk to that person so I have great confidence and if that materializes uh, then Craig Smalley will still be the oldest <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and, and Joe Gibbs and Andrew see they're not going to leave uh, there will not be a mass exodus here when I leave and the foundation and, and, and what we have left here uh, will be just as solid as a rock, and I and so I do have hope. Uh, my hope is not in the Episcopal Church. Uh, my hope is in God, and and because I know He is He is. Uh, he doesn't call us to be successful in, in worldly terms. He calls us to be faithful, and as God is my witness, that's what we're going to do. Well, I like that because by golly,
1: that'd
0: be good. Uh, I am leaving town in the morning for a little while. I'm gonna work on my physical vigor. I'm gonna, I'm gonna recruit. Ever since I got that anonymous email, I've been, I picked up my running from three miles a day to six miles a day. I'm,
1: I'm
0: I mean, going to the gym. And so, uh, but yeah, I, I think that's a good idea. Now, right, we got uh, time for Andrew to get started because, as I said, I don't want to get sidetracked and talk about talk about all this stuff constantly. What I want to do is get on there and uh, preach the gospel and see see what God does with see what God does with community of of, of people here at the Advent. So, take it now. <laughs> hey,
1: hey. I need your microphone. Yeah.
2: Um, Frank, next week will be three years away from mandatory retirement. And uh, I am 40 years away from mandatory
1: retirement.
2: <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it? A whole lifetime. Oh. oh, goodness. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you great thanks for your word and that it is truth. And Lord, we uh, rest in the witness of your saints, uh, even. Charles Wesley or John Newton, who told us that uh, even while salvation's walls are surrounded, uh, we can smile at our foes, for we know uh, in whose hands uh, we are held and whose church this is. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about gospel profiles, and uh, the first week, we talked about um, George Whitfield, and Whitfield was the kind of guy who was good, his natural, uh, he was predisposed to just being a really nice guy. And you would say he's the most Christian man that you'd ever met. And uh, he was outwardly conforming to what someone might think is the holiness of Christianity. Uh, And it was one of, uh, as the result of his holiness uh, while fasting during Lent that he ended up being bedridden because he was so sick. And um, where he realized that, Uh, All of his efforts were in vain in order to obtain God's favor. There was nothing that he could do uh, to please God, outside of God. And all of this was really just uh, rubbish, as St. Paul says. And he realized that what he needed for salvation, and to be made right with God, was simply to surrender his life over to Jesus. Last week, we talked about... um, temptations. We talk about Romans chapter 7 and the struggle that we have as Christians that what happens after we're saved, after we're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, what then, what does the Christian life look like? And oftentimes it's much more difficult than we ever thought. Uh, you know, we often talk about the idea that God has a wonderful plan for your life and plans to prosper you and not to harm you, and that is very true. Uh, but I'll share with you again the comic uh, that was sent to me with the Christian standing in the Colosseum being stared down by hungry lions and underneath it, it says, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, uh, well, sometimes it, it, it is that way. It absolutely is that way. Uh, but his grace is sufficient for us. And that even in uh, those moments where we don't feel very Christian, we know that God's grace is always bigger than our sin and that his arm is never too short to save. Well, this week... Uh, for just a couple minutes, uh, I want to talk about, actually, uh, John Ravenscroft, not Levi Ives this morning. Uh, and John Ravenscroft uh, ultimately became the Bishop of North Carolina. He was the predecessor of Levi Ives. But uh, really, I, the more that I thought about it, what, in the parable of the prodigal son, George Whitfield would be the elder brother, and John Ravenscroft would be the younger brother. He would be the prodigal son. And uh, John Ravenscroft uh, was born in the late uh, 1700s in uh, Virginia to a well-to-do family. They had lands in Virginia and in Scotland. And uh, his family were good uh, Scottish uh, Presbyterians, and they enforced in him the catechism and, and things like that. Uh, they tried to sow those seeds, but uh, he went off uh, to William and Mary and basically went off the deep end. Uh, while he was there, uh, he said that he was able to cultivate all sorts of vices and uh, where morning prayers were mandatory at William and Mary, uh, how things have changed. Uh, the student body clearly hasn't changed, but the, the rules have. Uh, the students uh, would make up any excuse to get out of it and church was not uh, mandatory. Uh, but, uh, and so he would almost never go, except when he knew that uh, his mother would be asking he would go just to say that he had gone. And uh, so crazy was he that his uh, fellow classmates at William William and Mary called him Mad Jack Ravenscroft. So he was really living it up and really didn't care very much about his spiritual life except uh, in the eyes of his mother, which is something that still exists today. You know, you're as religious as your mother is alive. And... uh, (laughs) For some, and, um, but, um, but uh, you know, it's funny because you can, you know, we look at people like Whitfield who are self-righteous, you know, they look to their own strength, uh, and we would say that, well, they're Pharisees, you know, they're Pharisees, uh, but you know, there's self-righteousness in the Sadducee as well, um, where the Pharisee says, uh, I'm pretty good. The Sadducee, like Ravenscroft says, well, I'm not that bad, right? I really haven't done anything that bad. And of course, what he's looking at are the people around him saying, you know, I may be mad Jack, but you obviously haven't met uh, Crazy Carl, uh, who's much worse than I am. And so he never gave a, gave a thought to his religious life or the interior life or spiritual thoughts. And... Uh, He graduated uh, with a law degree from William and Mary, which he only put to use a little bit uh, because, as he wrote in his memoirs, uh, an impatient and passionate temper with a most sinful and hateful habit of profane swearing in which I was a great proficient were my most open in besetting sins. Well, uh, that's what he struggled with, and so he didn't last long arguing cases, and he set to work on his own plantations, and it was during this time he married a lovely woman with the last name of Barnwell. And uh, he had these plantations in south-central Virginia that were a couple miles apart. Remember, this is the day of, of horseback riding. And he, uh, at the time, there was an evangelist coming to the area often by the name of Devereux Jarrett, who's well worth looking into, and others. And even though he never mentions anybody by name, we do know that these evangelists were having, during the Great Awakening in America, were having an impact on... Um, on Ravenscroft, and so when he would ride by horse for two miles, he began to think about things. He began to think on his own uh, condition, and in the midst of this thinking, he never necessarily, he was, as the dean told us this morning, he was one of those people who was interested in Christianity, but he thought, you know, I probably should stop cussing so much, you know, I should probably be a better dad, uh, things that are very good, and this is what he said about uh, how he attempted to thwart those things. Uh, These things I considered as within my own control, and as such set forthwith about amending them, but without any reliance upon God for help, or without much, if any, impression that it was at all needful. In this endeavor at Reformation, which it pleased God thus to permit me to make, I went on prosperously for a season. The New Year's resolution worked for a while. You know, I haven't eaten a cheesecake in six months. And began to pride myself in that self-command I seemed to possess. But my own weakness was yet to be showed me. And when temptation again assailed me, all my boasted self-command was but as a rush against the wall. I surrendered to passion, and from passion to blasphemy. So when he failed, he failed mightily. He totally crashed and burned. And he thought, you know, for a while I was doing okay and I had it all mastered and figured out. But I am totally undone. He's like the young prodigal who has gone out to spend his father's inheritance and is looking at the pods in the pigsty and wonders, what am I to do now? What am I to do now? Well, uh, he finally realized maybe these evangelists are onto something and Ravenscroft began to open up The scriptures. He began to read, and he read things like this in Romans chapter 8, verse 3 For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. All All those very good things don't cuss don't, you know, be be this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Uh, all of those things that we know deep down inside we ought to do and what we ought not to do, he, find, he found himself incapable of doing uh, and he realized that the only thing that he was able to do was to turn to a rescuer. Now, uh, there are those, um, uh, you know, without preaching uh, and without the word, uh, none of us would be saved, right? Uh, the... Christianity is a specific revelation from God, right? It's not as if we're sitting there one day and we come up and I have an idea. What we'll do is we'll have this guy who wraps himself, is God and wraps himself in flesh and comes to earth. No one could come up with this on their own. And so we have this specific revelation in Jesus Christ. And so these rides, although in the idyllic countryside of, of the Commonwealth of Virginia, uh, at this point the colony of Virginia, uh, you know, the beautiful views were not enough to persuade him They were enough to say, God's handiwork is lovely. The heavens declare the glory of God. Absolutely. Uh, But what he needed was a specific word to a specific person who was mad Jack Ravenscroft. He needed a word to him. Jack, this is the situation you're in, and here is the remedy. Here is what's going to rescue you. And so he turned to the scriptures, and he wrote this. During these my endeavors... The scriptures were more and more the object of my attention, and from them I began gradually to discover what I was very loath to admit, the true state and condition of human nature. What little I had lately come to know of myself, however, and all that I knew of the world seemed to rise up as strong proofs that the doctrine of our natural depravity was true. Right? He began to read the scriptures, and he thought, Rats. Uh, this guy has my number. He knows me through and through, and that's true. God knows us better than we even know ourselves. He knows the number of hair on our heads. Uh, He knows uh, what we are capable of, and he even knows what we've done, the things that we've been able to keep from everybody else. And this totally undid Ravenscroft. It totally undid him. And so when he was confronted with the truth about God, and even the truth about himself, this was his response. And this is a common response. Willing to escape from it, I resorted to the subterfuge of too many among us that what we find in the scriptures is figuratively expressed and is therefore not to be taken in the strictness of the letter, right? So his response was, well, these are just kind of general guidelines and, you know, even though uh, my heart is being broken here, uh, it couldn't be necessarily true. Right. Because I still remember Crazy Carl. This is what Crazy Carl needs. But there's still a part of me that really doesn't want to get into this. And in fact, there's a part of me that may not really want to change. There's a part of me that doesn't want to surrender to the Lord Jesus. And so I'm going to read this in a figurative sense. You know, at least it will be beneficial and I'll be more well-rounded. He said that he read the scripture so much that he would hear these evangelists go through and he would often try to correct them. Because he said, you know, I probably read my Bible more than you do. And so he had it all up here, uh, but he was playing a mind game with himself. But ultimately, he he said this. But my own experience was to be the expositor of the word. Again and again were my self-righteous endeavors foiled and defeated, much as at the first, and humbled and confounded. I became alarmed at what must be the issue. If I was thus to remain the sport of passions, I could not command. The prey of sin, I could not conquer. So what he was saying is finally he had to stop lying to himself. He had to stop lying to himself about himself, that he was totally broken and undone. He knew it, but he just sort of put it away. You know, scarlet at I'm not going to worry about this today. I'm not going to worry about this today. In spite of the fact that there is an army at your gates and your land is going to be pillaged, and it's all over, uh, you know. Uh, do not look at the man behind the curtain, right? Uh, in spite of that, he would play these mind games with himself, and he just couldn't get away from it. It plagued him because he knew deep down inside, because God had planted in that seed, what he needed, exactly what he needed, and he knew deep down inside that the scriptures were true. And that this was the very thing that he was looking for that would change his life. And so, on this horseback ride, as he was riding back from one of his plantations to his home, he wrote this I returned to the house convinced of my own helplessness, helplessness of my native depravity, and that to spiritual things I was incompetent. I now found of a truth that in me dwelt no good thing. I threw myself upon my bed in my private room, and I wept, and I prayed. Then was showed to me my folly in trusting to an arm of flesh. Then did it please the Lord to point my bewildered view to Him who is the Lord our righteousness. Then was I enabled in another strength to commit myself unto His way. From that moment my besetting sin of profane swearing was overcome, and to this moment has troubled me no more. But much was yet to be done, which the same gracious friend of poor sinners continued to supply and to lead me step by step to proclaim his saving name and declare his mighty power openly to the world. Well, that's conversion. And that is in a matter of two miles, God found him. Ravenscroft was doing his darndest to run away from God, and yet God found him out. Now, a few things to say about that. The Word of God is truth. Uh, It's not true simply because it works, all right? It's not meant to be a a pill uh, to cure all of our ills, uh, but it works because it's true. It's not true because it works, but it works because it's true. And um, that is a frightening thing. That is a frightening thing because there are those of us in our lives, you know, I mean, it's cliche, but, you know, the guy who says, well, I like to sin and God likes to forgive sinning, so it seems like a pretty good deal. Um, you know, I mean, there are lots of people who, uh, it scares them out of their wits because it means uh, that there is going to be a change. And in the case of Ravenscroft and in the case of anybody who has come into contact with Jesus Christ and out of a saving experience with him, it's a total change. Now, many of us do not experience the, the change that Ravenscroft experienced in the sense that the thorn in his flesh was extreme profanity, right? which he was delivered from. There are those of us who come to Jesus and still struggle with the thorn in the flesh. St. Paul continued to struggle with the thorn in, the, in his flesh until probably the day that he died. I mean, You would think that if he had ever been delivered from it, he would mention it. Right? Because that was something that he told everybody, look, I've pleaded to the Lord three times that I would be delivered from it, and yet I've seen no deliverance except what it's done is it's driven me ever more dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. St. Paul didn't just throw up his arms if it was a besetting sin and say, well, if God hasn't healed it, then I guess it just is what it is. And I I just, I'll go on doing it. But the fact is, is Ravenscroft and Paul and you and me, when we are struggling in our own lives, that's just it. We struggle, don't we? And we cry out to the Lord for mercy. And he's there. He's there in a gracious response to us. And even though we may not be delivered from our sin, uh, his grace is still sufficient for us. And we feel it, we experience in our lives, and we know that we're not left to our own devices. The other thing that Ravenscroft understood is that Jesus changes lives and nothing else. Uh, The evangelists that came through, even though they might have been mighty preachers, uh, they were not enough uh, to change uh, his life. Uh, He read many pamphlets and books, and yet they were not enough to change his life. Uh, Many people tried to persuade him. Uh, that he ought to change his life and yet that wasn't enough and in fact many of the things that he was up to in the colony of Virginia were illegal and yet votes in the law were not enough to change his life. The only thing that had the power to change him was Jesus Christ and it turned out after his conversion that that is all that mattered to him. He went on to become uh, the first bishop of North Carolina and uh, which was a real uh, death sentence in many ways. Um, That's no comment on North Carolina. Um, but my wife's from North Carolina, and we moved to South Carolina. She, we, I grew up in Virginia. We moved to South Carolina, and she really thought, this is really disgusting. It's a lot like Virginia, and I reminded her that North Carolina was the veil of humility betwixt two mounts of conceit. Um, uh, <laughs> but it was a real backwater in the day, and um, he was all by himself. But the other thing that I would point out, and I, I re- You know, you read this at the beginning of 1 Timothy where um, Paul is writing Timothy and and he's talking about uh, his mother and his grandmother and their faithfulness. Well, if you remember what I said early on, uh, Ravenscroft had been taught the faith as a young child. Those seeds of the gospel had been planted. And I'm sure that his mother despaired when he was in college, and even after college when he was just being all crazy on his plantations in Virginia, uh, and she prayed for him, uh, but the seeds have been planted, and uh, thankfully, it's not up up to us to decide when God is finished with anything or anybody, and that he is sovereign over all, and that... God saw fit that those seeds would be watered, and uh, it was not this, he wrote this when he was in uh, around 40 years of age, and uh, when nobody gets converted, Uh, but uh, thankfully, lots of people do uh, by God's grace, and so never underestimate those seeds that have been planted, and continue to pray uh, that God uh, would water those, but Ravenscroft is a wonderful example of those uh, who didn't think that they were all that bad. You know, I don't do a lot of good things, but um, I really don't do that much that anybody would would frown upon too badly. Uh, And yet, uh, God in his mercy uh, reached out and saved him, uh, but he saved him through his word. Uh, And so I hope that this day that we will put our trust in Jesus and his word and that we will plant those seeds and pray that God would water them and that they would come uh, to fruition and that they might know Jesus and that we would put our trust in him and him alone. Questions, comments, concerns? <laughs> that was the abridged version.
0: Well, I think you shoved a few people off the
1: fence, I hope. Okay. pray. Okay. Nice. All right. Well,
2: let's pray quickly and then um, go have a lovely brunch or worship. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for the witness of people like uh, Mad Jack Ravenscroft, uh, that your arm is never too short to save. And Lord uh, for those of us in this room uh, who were Mad jacks at one time or are continuing to be Mad Jacks, we pray that you would um, rescue us and continue to lead us. And Lord, for those of us who have sown seeds, even as young children in the lives of our own Mad Jacks, Lord, uh, help us to not despair but to put our trust in you uh, who can save us uh, with just a word. In Jesus' name, amen.